food's better and cheaper, you got to go with it, right? So, um, all right. So I think that's everything. If you would, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Remember, we do have a business meeting after church tonight. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, if you all found your places. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we, we come before you tonight, assembled in your name, where we have few that are sick and want to be here who cannot be here. Father, we, our hearts go to them and we, we lift them up in prayer, Father, that you will just be with each one. Father, but as we open up a, your word, Lord, may you bless it. May you open up our eyes of understanding. And Father, as, as we study, may it, all the things which we look at, Father, may it be of truth. May we be faithful witnesses unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that therefore is a very big word in chapter 2. And one of the things that we need to look at tonight is... This is one of several warnings which Hebrews has. Now, it's going to be kind of a uh, serious lesson tonight. Uh, it's going to deal with a warning. And the first thing that we see is he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So, what are the things which we have heard? Well, it's all of chapter 1. Now, how beautiful chapter 1 gave us the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We have talked about that the last six messages. This is the seventh message of Hebrews. And if you remember just uh, from chapter 1, just quickly, in verse 2, he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What have we learned about Jesus from chapter 1? We know that Jesus is God's final and full Word. He's the full revelation. Everything in the past has pointed to him. All of the, the law and, and the, the customs which were of the old covenant were all pointing to Christ. And 
he has in these last days spoken his final word through Jesus, and we saw Jesus' name is above every name, and then how he has inherited a better name than the angels. And so we also see that the, Jesus has been exalted, and he is on the right hand of God. Right now, the majesty on high is ascended up, and he has been exalted. But we also see that Jesus is God himself. He is in, he, is, he has an eternal sonship. He's the God the Son with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He created all things. He sustains all things. By the word of his power, Jesus created all things. And all things through him consist. And not only were all things created by him, they were created for him. So he's the possessor of all things. All things are Jesus's. And so he's so much better than the angels that we saw by name. We saw that Jesus is worshiped. All things in heaven, all things under the earth, all things in the sea, all the angels, all of us, all things will worship Jesus. And so we see this continual buildup in chapter one of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we even see in verse 8 that God says, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So we see not only is the Son, is Jesus the Son. He's the Davidic king of Second Samuel chapter 7. His throne will reign. It's, all, it's reigning now. But did you notice what else he's done? He has purged our sins himself, and he has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There's rest. There's rest in him. There wasn't rest in the Old Testament. And so verse two or chapter 2 immediately gets into this thing. We have heard these words. Now, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the Hebrew uh, people, the Jewish people, but it's also written for us. We've also heard this word. We heard the word in chapter 1. You know it. You know who Jesus is. They now know it. If they didn't know before, they know it now, who Jesus is. Now, what are you going to do with that information? Well, the warning, this is a warning passage. Like I said several times in Hebrews, there'll be warning passages. The warning is, do not let what you heard Drift. Do not drift from what you have heard. Now, in chapter or chapter 2, verse 1, he says we ought to give the more earnest heed. What that is, is we ought to give the more attention to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And what that means is drift. We should not let these things drift. So and chapter 1 dealt more with doctrine. Chapter 2, early on, deals with invitational. Now it is acting upon what you have heard in chapter 1. And so the readers, whoever you are, we must proclaim. We must stand steadfast on the things which we have heard. Now, there's three reasons to receive Christ. He gives us three reasons in these four verses to receive Christ and to endure, to let things slip. The first is the character of Christ. We saw that with that word, therefore. 
knowing what we know about Jesus. And then the earnest heed is we must commit to what we've heard and that let, in, let them slip. Now we're going to talk about that let them slip for a minute. Let what slip? The things which we have heard and the earnest heed. Those are the things which we should not let slip. Now, let them slip from what? Our minds? No, our hearts. Our essence. Who we are. That we are to hold these things. That we are to possess the things which we have heard. And we are not to let go. Now, um, the eyes of the Jews, the things in their life that wanted to take over to the Jews, there was, you know, they would have professed Jesus. Now, here's what I want to actually go into now. I was going to go into it later, but I need to go ahead and go to it now. We know this is a warning, but who's the warning to? Now, here's a big one. This is Who's the warning to? Now, there's been a couple of, you know, theologian opinions about this. I have my own who I believe it is, and I'll tell you exactly who that is, but uh, the very the first opinion is, oh, this is talking to those who have heard the word and received it on a mental ascent, but they've not committed, they've not professed Jesus Christ in faith. They've not professed him as their savior, just a mental ascent. We see that happen in Acts all over the place. That we see that with the Athenians, when Paul preached the gospel, how many of them thought on those things, and they, they kind of liked the new philosophy out there, so it was intellectually stimulating. Okay, I, I mentally assent that yes, and we know many people who may be doing that today. Yeah, I know I need to, I know I need to receive Jesus as my Savior, but not today. I just don't want to do it today. So that's typically your mental assent type of person. They've not professed in Christ. I do not believe, and the we, um, so when he says, therefore we, so the writer of Hebrews is lumping himself in with his audience here. So he's saying we ought to do this, and us, we should not let these things happen to us. So who, if, 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 he's, if his audience are mental assent, but they're not saved people, they're not professed in faith, how is he using the word we? Well, then they'll say, oh, it means national. We as Jews shouldn't let this slip. We as a people should not let this slip. Okay, that's view one. I don't think it's that. I think this warning is to anybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Rather, that faith is genuine or false. Okay? So I believe anybody who professes, and I'll back this up a little bit later, I just wanted to get this out here now, so that way we know this message isn't just for those who reject Jesus. It's not talking about those who reject him, because you can't let something slip that you've rejected. It is those who have professed faith. Now, whether that faith is genuine or not, time will tell. And the thing is, we see that principle all over the Word of God, don't we? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Very popular. Paul says, I, Wherefore I have declared unto you the gospel, whereby you have received 
and that therein you stand, and there you are saved if you have not believed in vain. And so he's talking to those who have believed, you know, essentially, or at the very initially, they believed, they professed, but they didn't endure. In the word of God, it is taught to us that there is no such thing as a person who is saved and does not endure. We persevere. Someone who is saved will persevere because they're preserved, because God has preserved them. Now, we need to get all of this and understand this because uh, it is for us. This message is a warning for all of us. Now, I know my salvation. I know I'm saved. And here's the thing. Each of us should be warned. Now, this isn't meaning to make you doubt your salvation. What this is, is for those who are saved, those who are genuinely have a profession of faith and you have the spirit of the Lord and you have endured, what this is, is this is a fortification. This is a word of encouragement. This is a word of, yes, I will be more resolved. I will stand steadfast. But if you are someone who made a profession of faith a long time ago, got baptized a long time ago, and you've not thought of God ever since, what does the word of God say? You are someone who is a practical atheist. You may be somebody who has professed the Lord. You may not be an atheist with your mouth, but at home, you act like there's no God at all. You're called a practical atheist. What did Paul say in Titus? He says they profess to know God, but by works deny him. And so that's who this is to. So who is the audience? Who's this warning to? It's to those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we cannot lose our salvation. If your salvation is genuine, because who is it that justifies? It's God who justifies. No one can condemn us when God has justified us. We are safe and secure. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. But what an eye-opener that this, these small four verses are. We have built up Christ, who he is in chapter 1, so much that you should, if you've professed Jesus Christ, you endure. You endure to the end. And that's what the Word of God says. And again, I want to state that. The Word of God does not teach that somebody can make an initial profession of faith and then they're one and done. Now, it's true you're one and done. You're saved if you've endured, if that proof is there, if the Spirit of God is with you, if you receive conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you do care about the things of God. But someone who's professed faith in Christ, were baptized, and you never see him again, they're one and none. They didn't receive salvation. And so, verse 1, so now as, as we start, so I wanted to get that out there. So the three points are, you should receive Jesus today and endure. First of all, because of the character of Jesus, which we saw in chapter 1. That's what that word therefore is. Therefore, knowing what we know from chapter 1, and you have been told. Number two, and that 
we should not let them slip. Now, let them slip, like I said, it's, it's a nautical term. Uh, the same thing as drift away. So, it's not the word of God that is slipping or drifting. It's you from the word of God. That's the imagery here. It's, it's a boat that has not been anchored that's drifting. It's a nautical expression, and it's just kind of drifting away. Notice that it's not referring to people, like I said, who flat out reject it. It's not talking about people who flat out reject the gospel, but it is talking about those who have drifted from the word. They've drifted from God, they've, and God has not called them back. They're just gone. They've abandoned it. They've abandoned their profession. They've done all these things. And, but we who are saved, we who have a profession of faith, you are someone, if you are saved, you're going to persevere. You have to. Because that's the work of God in you. He who hath began a good work in you shall continue that good work. Okay? Now, that's what let them slip means. Uh, it reminds me of the story. Um, there were some explorers that, a long time ago, that wanted to explore the Arctic. So they went up north to the North Pole. They had the coordinates. They had the stars as their navigation system. And they had a, the coordinates that they wanted to be at, and they reached it. And so they accomplished their goal. And they said, you know what, let us go a little bit further north and see what else we can discover and explore. So... They set out, and this expedition set out to keep going north up into the Arctic, and they went miles and miles. They just hiked miles through the Arctic, through the blizzards, through the cold and everything. And after days and days of walking, and I think it was like 100 miles, they took the coordinates again. And come to find out, they didn't gain any feeding or foot at all, they'd actually went backwards. We're like, what's happening? Well, come to find out, they were on a moving glacier that was drifting to the south. So here they are, they're walking, they're hiking towards what they think is the north, but they're drifting backwards the whole time. And how many are like that in religion? They're working. They've got all these works. They're putting in all this, this effort into religion. But they're drifting further and further from God the whole time. That's drifting. Do not let the things which you have heard slip. Don't let it drift. Don't let it pass you by. So, the another reason in verses 2 through 3, actually 2 through 4, we see another reason to receive Christ is the certainty of God's judgment. The certainty of God's judgment. Now, in verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward... So there's two arguments. There's one to the lesser and then one to the greater in verse 3. How shall we escape? So I want to stop there and talk about verse 2 because he's making a comparison. Again, if you notice, he's bringing in the angels. 
For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. Now, why is he bringing in the word angels again? We've got to see this link to the chapter 1. What did we establish in chapter 1 with the angels? That the angels were, uh, they were used by God to deliver the law to Moses. So the association here with the angels is with the old covenant. It's with the law. So it's not so much that these Hebrews were fascinated by angels. And like I said, there wasn't a lot of those who were guilty of angel worship. But for the most part, the association with the law, the Mosaic law, the old covenant, the old way, is associated with angels. And so in verse 2, when he says their word, if their word spoken by angels was steadfast, and what that steadfast, both of these are legal, what that means is binding. It's legally binding in every transgression. Transgression is a deliberate sin of commission. It's stepping over the line. You're doing it deliberately. When you transgress, you know you're doing it. It's an act of commission and disobedience. Disobedience in the Greek is a deliberate uh, act of omission. It's deliberately not doing something. So transgressions, deliberately doing something, sinning, and disobedience is deliberately not doing something and sinning. And they received a just recompense of reward. What that means is they were found to be justly, and they justly were found guilty, and they were punished. Um, this punishment which they have, if you look at it, it's, it's all through Exodus 21 and 22. In verse 2, we, we know that um, the comparison of their punishment in the Old Testament was that of, you know, not every sin that they were punished for was to death. Some was exile. But they were justly punished for disobeying the word that the angels delivered unto Moses. Now, what did we establish about the angels? They're inferior to Christ. So, how much more? How much more would we be punished for disobeying the word of Christ versus the word of angels, versus the word of the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, they were punished. You had the law. You, a lot of the punishment they received was earthly punishment. And that's what he goes into verse 3. Like I said, the argument is from the lesser to the greater. In verse 2, the argument is, look what happened in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, under these angels. Now, and they were, dis, and they were punished, but look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And then he goes on to say, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Now, this escape, Jesus, look at the word. Now, we're going to go, we're going to dissect this a little bit more in verse 3. Uh, so this, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, it's, it's talking about Jesus. And the dominance of Jesus' word over the angels is meant here in these passages. 
that he is so much better than the angels. So if Jesus met all the Old Testament prophet fulfillments, Jesus was the prophet like unto Moses, when he, Moses said, hear him. Uh, Jesus met all the Messiah requirements in the Old Testament, and there were eyewitnesses to that. In Deuteronomy 18.22, you don't have to turn there, speaking of the prophets, what was the requirement of a prophet? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. There thou shalt not be afraid of him. And actually it goes on to say, that false prophet will die. If someone is speaking in the name of the Lord as a prophet and it is not the word from the Lord and it's proven to be, they were to, they were to execute him. Now, we see that that is the word which is spoken in verse 3. But look at that word neglect. It's, a lot, it's very similar to allowing things to slip or drift away. But that word neglect is carelessness. It's carelessness. And the same word is used and thought of as the, the people who are invited to the wedding feast. And those who were invited, they did not come. They neglected to come to the wedding feast because they had everything else going on in their life that was more important. So that's the, the parable of the wedding garment. And they failed to attend. Now, you know, the thing about the drifting, he's talking about a sailor, not that it deliberately sails away or deliberately wants to go to hell or deliberately curses God, but it's talking about a careless sailor, someone who's allowed the message to drift or they've allowed themselves to drift from it. Now, I talked about the, the two views, and here is proof that I think this is talking about those who have professed. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren... Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the holy brethren. We, ob we obviously know he's talking to God's people, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, so also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of these things which were to be spoken after. Now, listen to this verse. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if... if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We are his if. If there is perseverance in your life as a child of God, that is evidence you are a child of God. But if you're someone who's drifted from the word and don't think about God, at all, and never convicted, and God never brings you back. You are, not so, you are someone who's had a false profession. And that is what he's saying. Give the more earnest heed to what you've heard. Pay attention to what you've heard. 
Otherwise, it'll drift. You'll know it, but you've not received it. And look at verse 14. And when you see these verses, it'll come at you after one after another. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, when the writer is writing to Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, wherefore, holy brethren, wait a minute, isn't he talking, isn't he addressing saved people? Well, think about it. He's addressing professed Christians. He's not addressing people who have never made a profession of faith. They've never joined the church. They just have a mental assent. This is why I don't think it's that first category. I think it's the second category. If you were to write a church, how would you address it? Holy brethren. Elect of God. You are assuming they're saved. And that's what this is. In chapter 3, he's addressing those holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly call. Now, in um, Matthew, you don't have to turn there, to support further, nowhere does the Bible teach initial acceptance of the saving message and that being sufficient all by itself without perseverance in faith. There's nowhere in the Word of God that teaches that. You must persevere in the faith. Apostasy is a rejection of God's clear Word, rather immediately or over time. Maybe you initially received it, but over time you've proved that you were never of the faith because there's no evidence of perseverance. Um, Apostasy is a rejection. It's not someone that has been saved and then they lose it by drifting away. There's, the Bible does not teach that you can lose salvation. But it's evident. A person was never saved because they drifted away and God never brought them back. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And so Jesus says, the iniquity will abound. There's going to be things in your life that wants to choke out God, choke out the word, take your attention away from the things of God. Now, am I saying that someone cannot go and backslide and then still be saved? Yes, that can happen. But that's not, what he, that's not who he's addressing right here. He's addressing those who have professed Christ. And those who have the grace to endure to the end are the ones who have been genuinely saved by grace. Uh, the various trials that Jesus talks about. When iniquity abounds, love will grow cold. When trials come into your life that challenge your faith, your true colors will show. Do you flee to him? Do you trust in the Lord? Or do you have despair? Do you have hopelessness? Are there things in your life that are, that are overtaking you? Um, but now we get to verse 3 again. How shall we escape? That word escape means run away, to flee. This, since this word 
is from heaven itself. Rejecting or neglecting God's final word, the punishment will be final and eternal punishment from which there is no exit. Um, it's a very serious word. This escape is very serious throughout the word of God. There's a framework that's built into this word escape. It's always built in with warning. I'm warning you to escape. And if you look at uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews with me, the last warning, he brings it up again. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. Chapter 12, verse 25 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, Yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So we see the the framework which he uses this in verse 3, how shall we escape, is tied in all with Hebrews uh, throughout the multiple warnings. It's tied in there. It's also tied throughout the word of God. Uh, in Luke 21, 36, Jesus says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be counted worthy to escape. All these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. First uh, Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This word escape has a very significant and deep, and it's the greater argument than verse 2. That, like we saw in chapter tw uh, 12, if the people of the Old Testament were not able to escape the word that was spoken of angels. How much more shall we not escape if you reject or let slip or you drift away or you ignore or you neglect the word of God, the very final word of God, that's Jesus Christ. How much more? How shall we escape if we neglect this so great salvation? And it's all throughout. Now, we want to say this, that punishment is always related to light. The more light we have, the more severe our punishment. Jesus was very clear about this. Matthew chapter 11, um, when he's talking to uh, Bethesda, Capernaum, do you remember what he told them? Remember, he went about doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He went preaching the gospel. He went preaching that he's the son of God and salvation has come. The kingdom is at hand. And what did he say to them of Capernaum who rejected him, who neglected him? He said it is going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah 
who did not have these, this word, who did not have this light. Because actually, let, let me quote it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. How much more? Because you've got the light. You've got the word. You've been given the word. How much more? How much more should you take heed to the things which you've heard? And that's what he's saying in chapter 2, verse 1. That's the argument. How much more than even the Old Testament, who did not escape punishment? How much you've been given this light. The light that they, the light of the word which they received, furthermore, has been confirmed. So it's not just I'm taking somebody's word for who Jesus Christ was. The word has been confirmed of who Jesus is. And that's what he says in verse 3. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So who heard Jesus? Well, the apostles confirmed the word of Jesus. 1 John 1.1 says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. So Jesus gave the witness to the apostles. The apostles heard Jesus. The, the people of Jesus' earthly ministry saw the miracle signs and wonders. Remember last week we saw that they saw the Mount Transfiguration. They saw the resurrection. They saw the ascension. They saw the baptism of Jesus. They saw all these great miracles, signs, and wonders. What did Nicodemus tell Jesus? That no man can do what you do unless God be with him. So the miracles that he says, the testimony of God the Father has been a witness unto him. So the very word of the Lord that was spoken in verse 3, that which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And then, uh, not only that, but God has confirmed. Chapter, or verse 4, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So the word signs there in the Greek is samion. What that suggests are these are things which human beings should discern what the significance is of what is being told to them. What's the sign? As human beings, as you and I, we are to discern what this means. The wonders are the astonishing works of God that can only God can do. They astound it. They astonish us. Now, the um, miracles, the miracles, what's interesting, that Greek word is dunamis. It's the same word as power. It comes from God's power. So what was accompanying the miracle signs and wonders that God has confirmed, God also bearing them witness, the words of Jesus, 
both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And we know that the gifts of the Holy Ghost were the gifts which God had poured out upon the early church, upon the apostles, to what? Confirm the message, to confirm the word of the apostles. And we saw that God had uh, confirmed his message in the Old Testament with Moses when he went to Egypt. And he was accompanied by miracle signs and wonders. Not only did it demonstrate to Israel, but it demonstrated to Egypt that God is the God of all the earth, all the universe. There's only one God. So those miracle signs and wonders accompanied the message of Moses. It gave accredited that this is surely the word of God. And then we see the, the miracle signs and wonders given unto the early church, the apostles, to confirm the word. And it's at the end of Mark. We don't have to turn there. But the Holy Ghost giving them witness from the things which they said and which they preached. Um, therefore, the reader, you and I, and the reader of Hebrews to the Jew, to whoever, we can be assured, we can be assured of the word which God has spoken through Jesus. Because he's greater. And he has the more sure word. And it is this great salvation. So the, the three things. We should receive Jesus Christ fully in our hearts. Commit our lives to him. And do and endure. That's the positive. Do not let the things of God drift is the negative. First, consider the character of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. Consider who he is. Secondly, consider the judgment of God that we see. Third, consider that God has confirmed the message of Jesus Christ. He's done talking. Everything he has said, he has said in his son. Now, in conclusion, again, these warnings are not meant to rob us of joy, or, but they are to steer us away from danger. They're like if you are a child of God and you're saved, this word, we know, we know that the, the word has said that we persevere. And there was one verse that I didn't get to that I want to. Um, and I can't remember where it was. Well, I guess uh, we weren't meant to get to that one. <laughs> but... It, uh, it was Jesus. And it talked about when the Jews believed him. That's what it says. I wanted to take you there specifically to it so, so you could read it uh, yourself. But the Jews, it said that many of the Jews believed. And Jesus turned around to them. And he says, if you continue, in my word, ye are my disciples indeed. The word of God said they believed. They professed. There was some point of their life where they professed. But was it a real belief? Was it a repentance and faith? Was it mental assent or... Had they, did they think that they were saved? But they never considered. Now Jesus, Jesus himself said this. If you really are one of mine, 
you will continue. You will endure. And that's what we need to pay attention to as those who have professed, everyone here, as far as I know, has professed. There's a few of the kids who have it in Christ. We take earnest heed to the word which we've heard. And that is the warning. It, it's, it's, so, it's so tragic that we know, and I spoke last week about those and the easy believism movements and those churches that they encourage easy believism for numbers, just to get their numbers up, just to get their baptism up, just to get their bragging up, just to get their impact radius up. And how dangerous that is to go down that road of easy believism. It's one, two, three, repeat after me. Now you'll be baptized on Sunday and get a t-shirt and they never go home changed. They never really have believed. They never repented of their sins before God. They never came to Him sorrowful of heart and sin and of God's punishment and His wrath, eternal wrath that is to come. That's the warning. You're not, we're not going to be able to escape God's eternal wrath. That's the warning. If we neglect, and neglect is to be careless. That's what that word means. The careless sailor let himself drift. Those people on that glacier, they were drifting, didn't even know it, away from God. We should be diligent. And again, I don't like to... Uh, you know, I, I don't like to make people uneasy about, you know, but that is a challenge that all of us should and probably have. I know many of you have, have asked yourself, am I of the faith? Am I saved? That's a question you should be asking yourself. You should never take that for granted. And Lord, uh, you know, the presence that the presence of the Lord, sometimes the presence is there, sometimes it's not. And, you know, it's this particular word of warning is not to those who are absolutely saved and who have backslid because the Lord's going to bring them back. This is for those who have let it slip, who have let it drift away. They've gone through life. Maybe they're on a false profession and they've let it, they've let the fact that they're not persevering in the faith alert them at all. It's a tragedy for those who have heard the gospel. They know they need salvation, but they never fully come to it of heart. And that is the, the warning of these first four verses is do not drift. Do not drift. Take the more earnest heed to what you have heard. Remember the words of Jesus, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach about a salvation that consists of a confession without a perseverance. You will persevere if you're saved. You will continue. And we pray for those who do not know that. They don't know they're drifting. They don't know they're not saved. They profess. They had a baptism. They, they think everything's squared away. But here's the word of warning. Listen. Listen with all your heart. This is the most important thing that you'll ever, ever think about, feel. And we pray that the Lord just, 
You know, many of you all have loved ones like this that may you, you wonder about sometimes. It, are, is their faith genuine? Are they really? But do they, do they seem challenged at all? It, do they know they're, you know, those who are of the spirit of disobedience, like it says in Ephesians, they, you typically have that nagging feeling of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's constantly kind of a low hum. If you're drowning the spirit, there's a low hum there. But those that you can see that are obviously not affected at all what the Word of God says or the Bible is just like Titus. They, perf- they, they may be, not be atheists by mouth, but they're atheists in their life. And when we pray the Lord saves, we pray the Lord saves. Let's have prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Father, we have so many on our hearts, Lord, that you know we pray for Father, if any of them, Father, have a false profession, Lord, we we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit and your power, just quicken their hearts. Bring them to you. We know that your salvation is effectual. We know, Father, that we are secure in your hand, that there's no man that will be able to pluck us out. But, Father, you've also told us that there will be signs, there will be evidence in our life that we truly are yours versus those who have been deceived or deceiving themselves. Father, may we just be earnestly, according to your word, may we hide your words on our heart. Father, may we just pray, Lord, that these things, uh, they just continue, that by your grace, continue to, to grow us, to strengthen us, to give us a desire, to give us a hunger for your word, to continue to give us assurance of our faith. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for you know which each one of our hearts needs you know what the hearts of our loved ones needs father we pray for them lord that you save them if they're not saved give them eternal life through the precious blood of your son that they may be saved that they may have eternal life and glory and not perish father that is our prayer Lord, we love you we thank you lord and we trust in you in jesus name amen